welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, February 15th, we are studying Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. In today's text, St. Paul speaks very pastorally to the Galatians as his children in the faith. He appeals to them not to return to the slavery of their former way of life, but instead to remain in the freedom that comes from the gospel of being known by the true God. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, the Reverend Dr. Scott Murray. Pastor Murray serves at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. He is also the third vice president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Pastor Murray, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's always a pleasure to be on with you, Pastor Apple. Is this your favorite epistle, Pastor Murray? You strike me as a Galatians <laughs> guy. Yeah, you know, I, I struggle with it because Luther made such a great deal of it. I feel like a dwarf when I approach it. <laughs> Uh, so I'm a much happier guy when I'm working with Romans. All right. <laughs> uh, I, I feel silenced by Paul and Galatians, quite oh, frankly. Well, and that's there's probably something to that. He he has that way in this epistle, no doubt. So help us <laughs> help us with the context. What should we know about this epistle and and what's been said leading up to our section of Galatians four? Sure. So of course you've hit upon uh, the centrality of this uh, epistle. Luther calls it. Of course, is Katie von Bora, his a love of his life. And of course, his lectures on Galatians are t- just sublime. When I recommend Luther to people, I tell them, read his commentary, read his lectures on Galatians. There are passages there that just will lead you to weep. Uh, so so it, it, you know, by itself, in terms of the New Testament canon, you know, it's one of the heavy hitters. In terms of the, the nearer context for our particular section, uh, of course, Paul is making an argument for justification without any additions. Uh, and he has just wrapped up a section uh, emphasizing our sonship as related to the sonship of the incarnate Lord, you know, who was born under the law, born of a woman, uh, so that he might free us from the law and so that we would not be once again entrapped uh, by the legalistic approach of these Judaizers uh, in this text. Of course, Paul has coined this new verb, this Greek verb to Judaize, which means to find a way of becoming right in the sight of God uh, by way of the uh, works of the law. Um, and Paul wants to make it perfectly clear that our status in the sight of God uh, has to be a law-free relationship. Uh, we have a righteousness that comes from Christ, not from ourselves. Uh, and now, of course, in that nearer context before our section, he's emphasized the incarnation of that Lord and our sonship uh, because of him. Uh, the section, of course, is followed uh, by that wonderful allegory mm. of Hagar and Sarah, um, where he, he makes it perfectly clear 
uh, that we are the free children uh, from the Jerusalem above, uh, the child of Sarah, uh, and we are not the child of the slave woman who was born into slavery. And uh, so I think Paul's pulling out all the guns he's got, uh, and I do find it remarkable, and I think we find this also in our text for today, that Paul uh, is very dependent on the Old Testament, despite the fact that he's writing to a group of Gentiles uh, in, in the Galatian letter. So anyway, that's the, the context on either side of this particular section. Very good. Let's go ahead and jump into our text for today. Again, this is Galatians 4, beginning at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. That's our text for today. That's Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. Pastor Murray, as you were saying, Paul's writing primarily to Gentiles here. We have evidence there in verse 8 of our text, what he says about their former way of life. What does Paul have to say there in verse 8 of the text? Well, at the beginning here of the section in verse 8, we have this strong adversative. You know, we've, we've talked about this beautiful sonship we get, or Paul's talked about the beautiful sonship we get because of the incarnation of our Lord of Mary under the law as a human to bear the law for us. And now he's expressing his utter surprise, shock, uh, that the Galatians are willing to uh, retreat to their really their former way of life, uh, almost as pagans, uh, so that they would become enslaved. Um, in verse 8, he talks about those things that are not gods, uh, that, that uh, only appear to be God or something like that. Um, this isn't unique to Paul. You find it in both Isaiah and Jeremiah. Jeremiah multiple times uh, mocks those who are not gods. Uh, they're man-made. Of course, in the Psalms, uh, we hear of those um, who make these gods who will become like them. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, so this is a retreat really to paganism that he's concerned about. And he describes it as being enslaved very decisively. You, you want to go back and be slaves 
even though you have known the true God. Uh, and and he'll put a finer point of that when we get to nine. Um, so we end up with this idol uh, or idols as attractive. Um, and again, elsewhere for Paul, like in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, an idol has no real existence, right? Uh, so their names without substance or without reality, uh, whether whether we're talking about Zeus or Hera or Hephaestus or, or whomever in the, the pantheon of the Greek gods, or perhaps even more uh, to the point here, kind of the superstitious um, Greek religion that, that would have been extant at the time. Uh, so you had kind of a a state religion, uh, perhaps stronger in in Rome than among uh, the Greeks of Asia Minor, but still there would have been kind of a folk religion, which was, of course, entirely legalistic, uh, that, that your obedience was essential uh, to your relationship with the God. And this is really true of every false religion, right? It's a religion of law. Uh, and, and, you know, whether we call it Christian or whether we, 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 you know, adhere to Zeus and his company, you know, equally it becomes a paganization because you end up seeking uh, God's approval based on what you can offer him instead of receiving what God desires to give us in his son, Jesus Christ. So there's a huge difference there. It's the difference between being slave and free. Um, and so Paul's concerned about this, quite agonized indeed, about this turn toward paganization that is implied by accepting uh, a legal addition to the Christian religion for salvation. As you said, he calls it a slavery here in this text, and that contrast between slavery and sonship was evident in the previous text. And it, that thought continues into this text farther, but how how is the a pagan religion, a religion of the law, how is that actually a slavery? Because I think most people that would follow it don't think it's a slavery. It seems like a good idea. So how is that really a slavery? What kind of slavery are we talking about? Well, you're you're a slave to uh, these elemental principles. Uh, you're a slave to something that doesn't exist. In other words, <laughs> you're being obedient to something that is not. Well, you know, that's the worst kind of slavery. I mean, it's one that's self-enforced, that you accept uh, this obedience, these acts of obedience as a way of placating or satisfying uh, the mental projection uh, that, that are these pagan gods or that is, that, that would, would come from paganism. Uh, And of course it, because it's legalistic, it's about your doing rather than your receiving, which is the Christian gospel. Uh, you know, I, I love that verse on the lips of Jesus. I come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So he becomes the servant of the people and the people receive the service of God. Whereas, of course, in all false religions, including false Christian religions, we're serving the God by, by doing certain things. And so it, it truly becomes a slavery um, because of what is owed. Uh, and, and of course, it becomes an impossible slavery. 
when you begin to realize that the standard, uh, whether you're talking again the Christian God or, or the pagan God, is perfection in the sight of God. And the chances that you're going to pull off perfection, mm, yeah, they're pretty low. That's and right. so it becomes really a double whammy. It's quite hopeless. Now that says is what was true for the Galatians formerly in verse eight. In verse right. nine, he says what is true now, what he has, what Paul has been proclaiming. He says, but now you have come to know God or rather to be known by God. And he's going to use that to jump into to appealing. Don't, don't go back. Why would you want that? Right. But talk about right. this, the freedom then that he mentions there in the first part of nine. Well, I, that I love that verse. Now, I actually use it in adult instruction mm. to distinguish between a kind of synergistic way of thinking about a relationship with God, and if it's that I owe God something, or I've got to find God, or He's lost and, and, and I'm looking for Him, and the fact that we're actually known by Him, and that's what makes all the difference. Um, so God's doing the doing, even, even, you know, seeking and finding the lost sheep like us. And that was true for Paul, of course, in the most extreme fashion. There he is on Damascus Road and overtaken by the resurrected Lord, but also for these dear Galatians that he loves and, and, and is in agony for their return to the pure gospel uh, he brought them that same message that he himself rejoiced in, that he had been found by the God who seeks the lost and saves sinners and, and places himself by his incarnation into our situation precisely uh, to have fellowship with us, to give us true joy through his death and powerful resurrection. Uh, so this is, this is really a, a lovely turn of phrase. And it, I think it's quite intentional on Paul's part. You know, you knew God, uh, you know, you're, you're knowing God, ah, but rather you are known by God. Ah, now we're getting down to cases. Yeah, yeah, and, and it fits very well within the context of Galatians, in, in which Paul has been at pains to say this is not about you or your knowledge of God, to use his verb here, but rather it is about what God is doing for you in Christ Jesus. So here is is true freedom, not to follow after pagan idols or any sort of idolatry and the slavery that is there, but rather to know God and actually to be known by him, to be loved by him, to receive all of his gifts. That is true freedom. So then from that basis, he, he asks the question, why would you want to go back? Uh, yeah. how, how is this possible? Yeah, well, because in every human heart, you have the opinion of the law. Uh, it's really easy for us to get um, de to, to be deceived into thinking, oh, there must be something that that I can offer uh, to God. Um, I actually tell people in adult instruction uh, that that the Doobie Brothers are just wrong. <laughs> uh, what have they sung? That Jesus is just all right. Well, no. Jesus has done everything, right? So there's no but after Jesus. Mm. Uh, he has uh, fulfilled the law for us perfectly and completely. And to return then uh, to these weak and elemental principles, uh, and it's amazing, this is what Paul describes, or the words that Paul uses to describe 
uh, the return to a kind of Jewish legalistic way of approaching salvation that included circumcision. Um, he's using uh, th these uh, weak and elemental principles, uh, these weak and poor principles, uh, would be probably fire, water, earth, and air, or some variation on that. Uh, in other words, the things that are entirely tied down to this world do not taste, do not touch, do not handle as we have it elsewhere. Um, uh, in other words, legalistic standards for our relationship with nature um, and, and the things in it. Of course, what he's trying to do is drag them out of this world into the person of Christ, who is for them, you know, their whole salvation and life. Now, I do like the fact that our, our Greek text, and of course, our English translation too, makes it a question, right? Do you wish to return again, again, <laughs> to be mm -hmm. slaves? He repeats that in the Greek. You don't get it in the English. Uh, it's like um, when we talk about something that's very small, my wife will call it a tiny little. Uh, here, here, it's again, again, two different words for again. But, and he's just so flabbergasted that they want to go back uh, and, and but he's he's asking it as a question. It's not an accusation. I guess in part it really is. But do you wish to be slaves all over again? You can't possibly want that, can you? Is really, uh, I love the way Paul can be very aggressive with his readers, and yet he'll also enable them to say, "Well, wait a minute. You have a point here. No, we don't want that." Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's not just cornering them. Uh, he's giving them an out. And he does this specifically earlier on in the book uh, where where he gives the big if, you know, um, uh, if somehow you might, uh, this is all vain to you. Well, they would be able to say, well, but it's not Paul. And, and so uh, you have this hope for the Galatians in the way that Paul writes to them. Yeah, that's that's a really good a good point that he leaves them this out. No, we don't want to be slaves, and so he he gives right. them the, the opportunity to listen and to hear his his words in faith. Now, how do the the days, the months, the seasons, the years of verse ten fit into this matter of being slaves to the elementary principles of the world? Yeah, that's a good question. I you know it could be one of two things, and 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 I don't know for sure. Perhaps someone who's a greater expert would would have an answer to this. It could either be um, following uh, the liturgical calendar of Judaism. So you have various festival days, which, of course, we see illustrated in the Gospels in the life of Jesus. Um, or it could be a return to these paganistic festivals um, that, that would have been practiced in among uh, Greeks in Asia Minor. Um, and But it's in a way, the answer to that question is almost irrelevant because it's the same problem. Um, I, I don't know. I tend to think it may be uh, the Jewish festivals, um, which the church, on the one hand, has no objection to, except if following them, uh, we're giving the impression that we're we're satisfying again the law of God by by you know following uh, the dictates 
of the Old Testament say about Passover. And it's interesting, of course, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul changes gears on the, on the Corinthians by saying, you know, we, we have a New Testament. Uh, we have a, a, better, uh, a better Passover because of Christ. Let's, let's keep that festival. Um, but the issue really finally is whether it's Jewish or, or, or Greek, that um, days and seasons are for instruction. They are not for righteousness in the presence of God. And, and that's, I think, what he's attacking here in either case uh, is, is he's trying to deny to them that their external obedience, scrupulously observed, is in fact any kind of righteousness in God's sight. Mm. Yeah, I, I, and again, I'm not I'm not one of those uh, more learned experts that can give a definitive answer one way or another. But I do think to to say that perhaps both are in view, or, mm. or that in the end it, it doesn't really make a difference as to what it means, I think is is helpful within the context of Galatians, where circumcision particularly has been in view. Uh, perhaps if the the days, the months, the seasons is referring to the the Jewish festival calendar. And then, but still attached to this thought of paganism, maybe is is one way of, of maybe taking a little bit of a shot at the Judaizers and saying, look, what what you are insisting that the Galatians need to do, if they need to do all of this, then you're actually just leading them into paganism, not into any mm. kind of real religion, maybe. Yeah, I, I think that's a good insight. The other thing that comes to my mind is, you know, he's been he's been pretty narrowly focused on the issue of circumcision, but notice that. Uh, his claim that if you uh, permit circumcision to be imposed on you as a way of righteousness, you are obligating yourself to the whole law. Well, that law would have included days, seasons, times, and so on. In other words, these Jewish festivals. And and he's illustrating to them that they're already being sucked down. Uh, you know, if they would just say, oh, well, all right, we'll, we'll sub submit to circumcision that doesn't obligate us to anything else. He's saying, well, hang on, then why are you already observing these Jewish festivals if you're not obligated to them? Yeah. So we've talked about, you know, pagan gods. You mentioned several of them, I think Hephaestus and Zeus and others. And we're talking about the Jewish liturgical calendar and, and how all of these may be ways that the Galatians were falling back into slavery. For many Christians today, I don't know that Zeus, Hephaestus, Mercury, name your god, <laughs> are sure. that big of a danger. And for many Christians, although maybe there's a little bit more of this, that falling back into a Jewish legalism in terms of the religious calendars is less applicable. Where is this still a danger for Christians today to, to fall back into a slavery in the way that Paul's talking about here? Well, uh, I would say where we treat uh, everyday church attendance as a way of placating God. Mm. God's happy with me because I show up at church on Christmas. Uh, or, you know, I'm there every Sunday. Isn't God happy with me because of it? Uh, and of course, what this has done is turned a, a wonderful gift that comes from God into, again, my work, my activity, what I'm offering to God uh, on his side. You know, pe uh, people say to me, well, Pastor, do I have to go to church? And I smile and say, of course not. Uh, you don't have to go to church any more than you uh, uh, re have to require your children uh, by threat of punishment to open their Christmas gifts on Sunday, uh, on Christmas Day, right? It's a what God's giving Himself to us in this service. 
who who would have to be required to go? So um, it it it's indicative where people have uh, decided that they're keeping God happy by by keeping the church calendar in some way. Uh, that that they really have fallen back into a kind of legalistic view of what Christianity is, and uh, that's a slippery slope. Sure, sure. So, I mean, so what we're saying in that regard, again, you're not saying it's bad to go to church by no means. It's no. God's gift for you, but to fall right. into the way of of thinking that I'm somehow pleasing God through this, rather than going there to receive His gifts, that can fall into this slavery. Or, or similarly, with the thought of liturgical calendars, you know, we. We have a liturgical calendar. Where, well, you know, right? And and this is an important part of the life in the church. So uh, help us to see where that where do we where do we cross a line where the liturgical calendar maybe becomes becomes something of a, a slavery? Yeah. So uh, I think we, we muddle up what what legalism is mm. among us. Um, you know, we're obligated to keep Sunday, to have these festival days, and so on and so forth. But that obligation is one that is, in a way, purely earthly. It's how we order our lives together for the good of one another, and it doesn't gain any merit with God. So legalism is is doing anything— uh, as a way of meriting righteousness in the sight of God. Um, sometimes people get this muddled up and think that anything that's required mm. is in fact legalistic. You can't make me do that. That's legalistic. Well, I can make you do it, but you're not going to get to heaven by doing it. it yeah. You're doing it for the sake of the community uh, and and its unified practice. Yeah, that, that's, that's good. That's good. I'm sorry, did you have more? I didn't interrupt. Oh no, that 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 would be it. But we we struggle with this sure. um, because we want to get out from under the law. That's not our goal. Our goal is to be clear that uh, that uh, legalistic righteousness and it exists doesn't uh, merit righteousness in the sight of God. Yeah, that's right. And so any anything that we would take and, and try to use to climb that ladder to earn our righteousness before God, that's where we're in danger of engaging in the slavery. Paul says, don't do that. Why would you want to be slaves once more? Something far better is found in the freedom of the gospel. That's what we're going to keep talking about more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Scott Murray this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks.
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, February 15th. We're studying Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20 with Pastor Scott Murray. He serves at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. Pastor Murray, prior to the break, we were talking about Paul's appeal to the Galatians. He gives them this way out so that they would recognize what they are doing in falling back into slavery and desire to remain in the freedom that Paul has preached to them because they are known by God in the gospel. We've said before, Paul, we see his, his heart here. And in verse 11, you start to see that even more. He says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. What? How? How is he afraid? What's the vanity he's talking about? Well, I mean, he's afraid that they've been lost to Christianity, right? This is life and death stuff um, because he thinks that by way of accepting circumcision and being Judaized, they have defected from Christ as their only Savior. And so uh, he's... This is why he could talk about how empty uh, this this labor that he um, uh, worked over them as he brought them uh, to Christ and and uh, converted them uh, by the word of God and brought them divine mercy and, and freedom in the gospel. And, and now they've retreated. And in fact, he'll he'll ratchet up the language, you know. Uh, the 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 verb I have labored over you, uh, if somehow in vain. I hope it's not that way. Is really uh, what he's implying, um, but but he he means I labored before and I am now continuing to labor uh, for your sake. So uh, he's a tenacious guy, this Paul, uh, when it comes to preaching the truth to these to these Galatians. Yeah, and you see, you see his pastoral heart in this verse, and the heart of any any pastor that desires, like the Lord, that none would be lost, but that all would stay in the saving knowledge of the truth. And it's it's helpful sometimes to see it from a distance like this, so that when it comes a little more closely to us, where someone comes and and says, "Hey, you're you're about to enslave yourself," and and your initial reaction is maybe to be offended. How could you say that? When you've seen it from a distance, like we're seeing it here with Paul and the Galatians, perhaps that makes us a little more ready to receive that kind of rebuke in repentance and faith when it when it's needed to come right here to home. Right. Well, and it 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 costs our pastors and our leaders something, um, and in fact, Paul describes it as the agony of childbirth a little farther yeah. down. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, the older I get. And the more experience I have as a pastor, the more I think I understand what, what Paul's driving at. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned both to be more patient, but also it's been more agonizing when someone has very intentionally defected from the faith uh, in some way or other. And, uh, and you know there's nothing you can, you can do about it. It's in God's hands, of course. Yeah but it's no less agonizing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, and you see that agony of Paul here. So he continues then in verse 12 to entreat the Galatians. He calls them brothers in verse 12, which sometimes I think we, we skip over those brief addresses, but within the context here, I, I find it significant that he calls them brothers. Uh, one, because he has been pretty harsh with them. And so he does remind them, hey, we're brothers. And two, I, I think it's a callback to what he's said previously in in this section about we are sons of God in the Son of God. And so it's it's almost just in that term, brothers, it's a callback to some of those things, I think. 
Yes, I think you're right about that. Yeah, he never, he, it's obvious he hasn't given up on them, otherwise he wouldn't have bothered to, to have written this. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but but they remain his brothers, no doubt, yeah. So what, is, what does he mean then in verse 12, where he entreats them, become as I am, for I also have become as you are? Yeah, this is one of these lovely phrases from Paul. <laughs> um, he, he means, I, as a free child of God, unburdened by the law as a way of righteousness. Uh, he's perfectly willing to bear the law for the sake of those who have the law. That's, that's not the issue with Paul. But, but he, he's also quite clear, again, about that righteousness only comes uh, by way of the work of God in Christ saving us. So he's saying, I'm free. I want you to become like I am. Uh, and, and if if and when you are, then I also will be like you. I mean, this is the wonderful unity we have in the faith because we have this one Christ who knows all of us. So it's not about what we're accomplishing, and that's why we can be perfectly united, uh, because it is really about what God has done for us in Christ, and he's done it for all of us. He's done it for all of us completely, uh, and and that's the gift that every one of us receives as the sons of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm. Now, he, he continues then to go into his history with the Galatians as verse 12 continues. And in the, then into verse 13, he says, you did me no wrong. And he describes how he initially came to them because of this bodily ailment and his ministry and the way they received him. Talk to us a little bit about this backstory that Paul gives us here with his time with the Galatians. Right. So what he's doing is calling on their shared experience. Uh, why did you treat me as you as you did, and why did you receive the message I gave you as the very voice of God, you know, as though I were an angel, as though I were Jesus Christ himself? Um, and, and now why would you be defecting from it? So, uh, so he's calling them back in memory, uh, to the relationship he had with them. i of course, I think also the Judaizers, uh, had come to the Galatians and, uh, touted themselves. They tooted their own horn, you know, we're from Jerusalem. We're the, the spiritually powerful uh, we're the leaders, and, and James sent us, and, and we've got authority, and we have these uh, letters proving you to you how important we are. They're all puffed up. And what does Paul do? In contrast, he says, uh, I came to you kind of weak, and yet you received what I said as the very voice of God. So I do think this is really intentional on Paul's part to talk about um, the weakness of the Christian way of life as it is totally dependent on Christ, his cross, his work, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, all those things. Mm. Uh, and so there's all, I think there's all kinds of things tied up in this section where he calls them to remember the weakness of his flesh. Mm. Well, it, uh, when, when he preached the gospel. So in, in that sense, it's very similar to what he I think says to the Corinthians, especially in his second epistle, where he, where Paul there boasts of his weaknesses before the Corinthians. Yes. It's almost like right. he's doing something very similar here with the Galatians. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, uh, and it's it's very intentional on his part to to contrast himself with, of course, the the powerful men 
who come from Jerusalem. Mm, yeah. Well, and, and then just to pull, because we, we did recently study Second Corinthians here. So to pull some of those things in from that conver- those conversations that we had, you know, it, it reminds me that when he talks about the super apostles who were there in Corinth, <laughs> it, it seems that the Corinthians were they were willing to bear with the super apostles false doctrine, but they weren't willing to bear with Paul's weakness. And, and Paul right. tells the Corinthians, hey, you've got it backwards. And it seems like something similar is happening here with the Galatians. Like, remember how you bore with me in my weakness physically so that you right. could receive the truth. You're totally reversing it with these Judaizers now. Right. That's exactly right. And that's why he calls them back to, to remember his ministry among them as the prone, weak, um, potentially somebody who could be despised or even spit on uh, as insignificant, and yet they never treated him that way. And and he's asking them the question, why did you do this if now you want these powerful men to have authority over you by imposing the law? Mm. Now, he, he mentions here in verse 13 a bodily ailment. Do we have any mm-hmm. idea what, what he might be referring to outside of those words, bodily ailment? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. I, I mean, people have argued this and that. I tend to think that it may be an eye issue, and I will tell you a couple of reasons why. Not only because he says to them, you would have ripped out your own eyes and given them to me if you could have, but also because where Paul puts his signature on the letters, he will say, see with what large hand I write. Mm. Well, uh, it could well be that his weakness of vision uh, makes it uh, impossible for him to write in what we would call fair hand. He's he's putting something fairly large on that piece of papyrus, which, of course, you don't want to do all the time because it costs you too much in papyrus, you know, to send the letter to write something in huge hand like that. Um, now, of course, there are people who think it's malaria uh, or, or uh, something chronic like that, um, because, because of course, the thorn in his flesh uh, does not depart, uh, even though he prays three times that it would be removed from him. Uh, so, so I think those are probably the leading uh, candidates for uh, a good guess as to what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we Pastor uh, Ned Murby actually was the one who helped us with Second Corinthians chapter twelve where we talked about the thorn in the flesh. And although we we said it's impossible to know precisely what Paul is talking about, I do think that this text from Galatians 4 is one that sometimes gets connected with that thorn in the flesh as right. maybe the two are related somehow. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Although, again, we don't know precisely what either one refers to beyond what Paul tells us in the text. Right. And But, of course, it's indicative of Paul's weakness among them. Uh, you know, whether he was laid low by a bout of malaria uh, or uh, for whatever reason, his vision had become worse as he came among the Galatians and needed a time of rest and recovery. Um, uh, in either case, you know, it's a sign of weakness, not power. Yeah, 
right? And that's that's where his boast is. That's his again to use the terms from the letter to the Corinthians, his letter of recommendation. Right? It's it's his weaknesses, uh, not his strength, because the strength is always the gospel. What comes from God? Right. He's the one that provides the sufficiency. Which is is one thing that within his his language here, as he talks in verse fourteen, perhaps strikes us as a bit strong. He says that they re- they the Galatians received him, Paul. As an angel of God, as Christ Jesus, why, why would we receive a, a messenger of the gospel in such an exalted way? Sure. So, I mean, for starters, uh, the message carried by the apostles uh, was the most significant divine proclamation ever delivered other than the words of Jesus himself. Mm. Uh, so, um, and you have to remember uh, that angel doesn't necessarily mean uh, a heavenly being who comes, say, for example, to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, it can mean simply a messenger of God. Right. Uh, and so uh, he certainly, uh, that person uh, who has been deputized by God, apostled by God, even uh, sent out by God to be a proclaimer of the, the Christian gospel, especially, of course, in the Gentile world. Um, now, uh, when, when Christ is proclaimed, moving on to the, the second element, uh, you treated me as Christ. Um, whenever Christ is proclaimed, Christ himself is present. And so they had a strong recognition of this already, of course, in Galatians 3, talked about how uh, Christ was portrayed among them as crucified. It's very vivid. Um, And so uh, they had a very clear sense, I think, of what we would call that word in sacrament presence of Christ among them, which through the preaching of Paul, uh, you know, became uh, present. You know, he was there with them, Christ himself. And so uh, we talk, you know, we have these uh, red letter additions to the Bible as though the words of Jesus sort of have a a higher significance. But of course, because the apostle is speaking for God himself uh, by inspiration, the very words of Paul were in fact the words of Christ. And they had that recognition uh, among themselves. This self-authenticating word was spoken and they went, ah, the very words of Jesus. Mm, yeah, and that, that follows right along with the promise that Jesus makes to his disciples, that whoever hears you, hears me. And not only me, but the one who sent me, the very voice of, of God the Father. How does right. how does a verse like that uh, affect the way that uh, that congregations hear their pastors and the, the voice? <laughs> how, how does that... I mean, obviously pastors are sinners. Paul was a sinner too. Yes. But how, how, does, how does that affect the way that, that congregations listen to their pastors? Well, I mean, you you can err on, on both sides of that equation, right? You have to be very careful that you yourself as a pastor are not sort of cock-a-doodle-doing about how the fact that you are sort of the incarnation of Christ among God's people, because that almost always gets heard the wrong way, and oftentimes it gets used the wrong way, right? You have to listen to me because I'm the voice of Christ. Well, wait a minute. Uh, what you've just done there is used that kind of thinking for legalistic purposes, right? You have to listen to me. Um, 
The other side to it, of course, is so that God's people listen attentively to the preaching and understand it properly as the very um, word of God among them, doing exactly what God expects that word to do, uh, that is, to give life and salvation, and indeed the very presence of Christ, whether through baptism into Christ, whether the Lord's Supper, where the body and blood of Christ is in our mouths, uh, doing exactly what God has said, giving forgiveness of sins, um, and of course, holy absolution, which is very closely tied to he who hears you, hears me, right? So when pastors give holy absolution to God's people, then indeed they're hearing the very voice of God uh, in divine service. Hmm. Now, as, as Paul then continues, as he, he, you again see his pastoral heart for the Galatians here, he says, what became of this blessing? You know, what, what happened? Why, why have things changed? It, as you mentioned, they would have gouged their eyes out, almost like the, the Lutheran Study Bible suggests it's similar to our English idiom. You, know, you would have given me your, your right arm, that, that they're uh-huh. that willing to serve. And, and then he, he starts to talk to them about what's changed. You know, how have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? And he, he contrasts himself with the Judaizers and what they're doing, their purpose in doing that, Take us into that. That way he starts to contrast his ministry versus what the Judaizers are up to in Galatia. Sure. So, uh, I mean, the the goal here, you know, of, of using this example, if you would have, you know, plucked out your own eyes and given them to me, uh, you know, talks about the unity of relationship between the apostle and, and the Galatians. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it sort of gives the lie to these, Johnny's come lately, if you will, the, the Judaizers who come with their much vaunted authority. Um, and, and so um, he wants to know why they've retreated uh, from that attitude toward him. Uh, and indeed, he puts it in terms of enmity, you know, uh, so that now we're enemies. We've be- have I really become your enemy? Um, and, and why is it? because I'm telling you the truth. And he doesn't mean truth in some sort of philosophical way, but rather the very truth of the gospel that, you know, one is saved entirely by the merits of Christ and not by one's own works, no matter, you know, whether it's in the Pentateuch or whether it's in Exodus or it doesn't matter, the, the law cannot satisfy God's wrath. It doesn't mean that law is bad or has to be gotten rid of, just simply that the purpose of the law is primarily, not, not only, but primarily to show us our sin. Uh, and and is it, it is interesting, uh, even, even in Amos in the Old Testament, uh, Israel hated the truth. This is the way yeah. Amos describes that, that relationship between Israel and, and God's children. Uh, and, and in our modern situation, uh, we find many people speaking quite aggressively uh, against the, the uh, life-giving truth of the gospel. Uh, oh, I don't need that. I'm, I'm perfectly righteous as I am. Mm-hmm. And that's always been the challenge of the church. It just, it just changes uh, flavors from, from age to age. Um, yeah, I think perhaps the big issue among us these days is, 
is the idea that I get to reinvent myself mm. rather than be who God has called me to be under the gospel. Mm. Uh, so, so you know, this is not a new fight and one that that uh, that Paul is is undergoing among the Galatians. They've chosen, of course, to be reinvented by way of circumcision, and uh, and he says that's not going to work out for you very well. But but are, are are we really enemies, right? So again, I I do think he's uh, trying to get them to rethink their situation. Hmm. Don't could we really be enemies over this? Yeah. Because I'm telling you the truth of the gospel. And he's hoping that, you know, rhetorically they're saying, oh, no, we can't be enemies of Paul. Think of the relationship we had built with him and so on. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's another good insight to see the the out that he's giving them yet again to to agree mm-hmm. with him, to come back into the freedom of the gospel. He also r- reveals the the deception that's evident within the Judaizers. You mentioned the prophet Amos. I'm reminded of some of the the back and forth that the prophet Jeremiah had with the false prophets in his day. Sounds like Paul's doing a little bit of that there in verse 17, where he describes what the Judaizers are up to. Sure. Uh, I mean, again, what what is it? Well, they're zealous. Oh, that sounds good. But for what, really? This is, it's not good. It's not well. And he says, you know, they wish to shut you out. Uh, what out of what the gospel really? Mm. Um, I do find it. I don't know that any, but I should have read up on this before I talked to you. But uh, the verb for to shut out is really close to the word for church. Mm. So you go from being the church to being shut out of the church, uh, perhaps. Uh, there, there's a little a Greek echo there for you. Um, and, and, uh, now what, what, what is the zealousness of the Judaizers? They want followers, Mm. right? They, you know, they are spiritual gunslingers. Uh, they are going to get converts, uh, to their way of thinking. And they want to put nice notches on the, on the handle of their Colt 45s, uh, to, to say, Hey, I got another one. Whereas Paul's concern uh, is toward them, in other words, toward the Galatians, rather than the Galatians satisfying the, the sort of misplaced zeal of these Judaizers. Mm. Yeah, rather than a notch on on the gun or the belt, Paul Paul instead calls the Galatians his little children, and he talks yeah. about the anguish of childbirth. You mentioned that before, so talk to the, the about that that relationship Paul has with these Galatians. Yeah, I mean, he uses this lovely uh, word. Uh, techna, which is little kids or, or you know, little child. And, and where did they come from? They came from his labor, and he means the word labor, uh, perhaps uh, foreshadowing the issue of childbirth. Then he does actually use here in verse 19 the word uh, that, that means the agony of childbirth itself, so that, they, uh, so that, they, that Christ would be formed among them. And uh, this is, uh, it's the, the root word for the word transfigure, where, hmm. where we're, being, we're being flipped over to be who God really wants us to be. And of course, Christ himself is being formed. Why? Because Christ is forming them. But, but when they retreat from that and say, we'd rather, you know, Christ is great, you know, he's doing a good job, but 
he needs a little help from us. We're going to keep some of the law. Um, then, then it is in fact uh, to slam the, the doors uh, on the fingers of Jesus and say, stay out. We're going to take care of this ourselves. And uh, this is why Paul is so agonized by it uh, as though it were the agony of childbirth. Of course, in those days, all childbirth happened in agony. There were no epidurals. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul has that same anguish looking for the Galatians to continue in the true faith, to be formed in that true faith and stand in that true faith. He says he, he wants to be present with them. He wants to change his tone. We've heard that tone already. We yeah, continue to hear yeah. it. He's per- perplexed about all this. Uh, we've got about two minutes here, Pastor Murray. Help us into any things we need to see from verse 20 and help us to wrap things up this morning. Yeah, so his uh, his attitude of being perplexed is kind of equivalent to our idea of, I'm at my wit's end. I've prayed over this. I've written to you. I'm concerned. I thought I preached clearly to you. You received me, you know, as the very messenger of, of God, as Christ himself. And now I find out that that you have retreated from this for a mess of pottage. Uh, something that is not Christ, something that does not save, uh, it should drive you all the more to be with Christ once the Judaizers show up, uh, but somehow it hasn't. So his big concern is is to come to them um, and see that they have rejected the approach of the Judaizers, that Christ is at the center once again of their theology uh, and their practice, uh, and that they would not fall into this legalistic way of life again. The Reverend Dr. Scott Murray serves at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. He's also the third vice president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's been helping us today to study Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. Pastor Murray, thanks for being our guest today. It was a pleasure as always, Pastor Apple. Legalism and idolatry are slavery. They cannot bring true freedom. True freedom comes through Christ Jesus. Not only that we know God, but that God knows us, that he knows us as sinners, but all the more knows us as forgiven sinners covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Stay in that true freedom in the gospel that has been proclaimed to you. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Galatians chapter 4, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org store.